right, all right, I hear you. I've been slacking a little bit, right? going to be another show today? I don't know. Is there anything out there that you find all that interesting this week? We could continue to pound on the Ridley Gregg, Morgan Riley story, if that's of any interest to you. I, I'm sort of like this with a lot of different stories. Matt Robinson with you in the TCA studio, by the way. You know that. Um, I, They're interesting. They're real stories. They're worth talking about. But you get to a point, like I talked about it with Rob on the Monday morning show, talked about it with Lever Sage on our last episode, and I'm good. I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Uh, the only thing new, and that's not going to be the topic of this episode, is Morgan Riley is appealing his suspension. Uh, that appeal will happen on Friday. Uh, Gary Bettman can choose to reduce it from five games to four or three or none. He can give him a hearty pat on the back if he wants to, right? And, uh, come on, just just try and do better next time, buddy. Get out of here, you scamp. It's possible. Gary could do that. Now, Riley will have already served uh, two games at that point, but he'd get all his money back, so that'd be all right. And that is the main reason the guys do this. Lots of times these these appeals take much longer than their actual suspension. And so you're like, well, what's the point? They've already missed the games. The paychecks are the point. Uh, <laughs> you, can get, uh, you can get your money back for what you would have been paid in those games. Anyway, that sort of explains the, the lack of content, I guess. The last day or two on here is, is that story is still eating up the majority of the of the conversation, and I'm good. I, I don't have anything more on it. So uh, we'll see what comes of it. If there's a drastic reduction in the suspension, maybe that'll be interesting. Maybe Rob and I'll get to that on the Monday morning show. Uh, I would encourage you to stick around for that, as some of you sick bastards have suggested that it might be fun to give Rob the steering wheel for the day and and let him lead the episode. So if you missed us talking about that, that's what's going to happen on Monday. I'm going to sit here in the sidecar. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to let Rob steer the ship. We'll see what happens. There's every possibility that it goes completely fine. And uh, there are there's the possibility that it doesn't. So we'll see what that looks like on uh, on Monday. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But a couple of things in the news on Thursday. I'm sitting down here just before the Sens take the ice and just before the Leafs take the ice. And I'll circle back if there's anything of interest that comes from those games. But there were some other things in the news uh, on Thursday that I thought were mildly interesting. Something to talk about other than Ridley Gregg and Morgan Riley. And I guess we could start with the fact that uh, that this week, and specifically Thursday for the Blue Jays, uh, pitchers and catchers reported to Dunedin for the beginning of spring training. And so you see some guys kicking around and, uh, you know... Uh, there's going to be a few different stories that come out of this. Uh, what does Yariel Rodriguez, their new free agent signee, look? What does he look like after basically taking a whole year off? What can you expect out of him? I sort of think this will be a build year for him, and that's why they have him for five years. Is whatever construction they're going to put him through, whatever reconstruction, um, will happen this year. And then if it's successful, you'll have him for several years moving forward. And if it's not successful, you'll. Uh, still have him for several years moving forward, so uh, we'll see. Mitch White is a guy that sort of got lost in the shuffle last year and, and really didn't deserve a whole lot of playing time, but he had shown earlier in his tenure with the Blue Jays that maybe he deserved a little time, a little attention. Uh, he did finish in AAA very strong. His last six weeks were very good at the end of 2023. So does he have anything to contribute? Might he be a swingman? 
six, uh, you know, the sixth guy, you know, if someone gets hurt, maybe somebody going back and forth between the rotation and uh, the bullpen. We'll see what Mitch White has. But the big story on the pitching staff is going to be Alec Manoa. And uh, he reported, he, he showed up, you know, he said all the right things in his interviews. You know, he's looking forward to to getting back and really giving her this year. He's happy to be back around the guys. He's got a lot of confidence in this team. And we'll see. Uh, reportedly, coming in down 30 pounds. Now, hard to tell, right? I've had people ask me if I've lost weight when I have whew, absolutely not lost weight. Um, no one has ever walked up to me and thought, that guy's lost 30 pounds since I've seen him last. That's not a thing that happens. 30 pounds is a noticeable amount of weight. But Alec Manoa is a big dude. And there was a lot of talk with his struggles last year that maybe the frame he was carrying around with the introduction of the pitch clock, which was going to speed everybody up a bit, was going to be an issue for him. And that maybe that's what ended up happening when he went off a cliff last year. I'm not here to argue that. That's a possibility. That's, that might be part of what happened. If you really look at it, you go back a little bit and his ramp up, right? His, his journey from being a college player to a major league player, like a lot of guys, was impacted by the pandemic. He didn't have the typical ramp up. He was spending time, I don't even remember what they called it at the time, but like the satellite camp where you're like not with the team, but they keep a bunch of extra guys just, you know, playing some baseball together in case someone needs to be called up during, uh, during that first 2020 season, 2021 is when he, you know, gets to to actually start ramping back up again. 2022, that that year where he is a Cy Young candidate and he's starting game one of the playoffs is a year where he's pitched more than he ever has in his career, right? He, he throws way more innings than he ever has. So did in 2022, did he just run out of gas? That's a possibility. That's a theory that we can kick around. And, and maybe there's something to that. Maybe both of these last two things are true, that between being gassed after 2022 and then having the speed clock or pitch clock dropped on him, it was a bad combination. Maybe he just lost it. It happens sometimes. Maybe he won't be any good again this year, but he will be the big story, in my opinion, at spring training this year. And he arrived, uh, yeah, saying all the right, uh, all the right things and, and allegedly down, uh, down 30 pounds and look. Whether uh, whether that's true or not, losing a little weight can't hurt uh, any athlete. We've seen that before across the uh, across the board. But uh, I have no idea whether that was part of his issue or not last year. So just speculation there, I suppose. Ross Atkins spoke. Man, it's like the season never ended. Uh, he had one media availability in my entire timeline, just burned to the ground again. Uh, watching the Ross bot speak. I understand he does not appear to have any human emotion whatsoever. Uh, not a great speaker. But the big thing to take away from what he said, outside of fans just generally not liking him, was that they're probably done adding. And hit the way he framed it was any significant salary addition now would almost certainly have to come with a subtraction. So if you're one of these people, and I might have sort of been one of these people, that was still hoping as spring training opened up, there might be a big free agent still to be signed to come in as guys get desperate looking for a place to play. You know, I don't know how he fits in this situation, but J.D. Mar Martinez is still out there. I can't imagine Cody Bellinger was still on their radar at all, but he's still out there. Blake Snell is not really what they need, but he's still out. But there are names still out there. 
And Ross made it pretty clear that they're not really at this point interested in free agents unless they can deal some salary away. And more so what I took away from it was any big addition now would likely come by trade, where instead of trading something away for nothing and signing a free agent, you trade something for something, right? And so I just get the sense they're not really all that interested in whatever's left out there on the free agent market. Um, and look, it's not unfair to say that, that you know, they're not spending money. They are spending money. And they are pushing up against that second tier of luxury tax, which is going to hurt them. But they have been they've been willing to do it. So for all the criticisms we may have of this management group, spending at this point can't really be one of them. Now, you can quibble with how they've spent if you don't like the Justin Turner signing, which is a perfectly reasonable uh, argument at this point. I'm sort of in a wait and see mode on it. Um, But. It's not unreasonable to me that people don't like it. You could say, well, that's money you should have spent better on on a different piece. Well, that's fine. But the takeaway today was, well, that, you know, the die's been cast there. And we're not likely going to spend any more into the luxury tax uh, without sending a piece or two away. So that's sort of the, the takeaway there. And the other big story at spring training, not just in Toronto, or I guess in Dunedin around Toronto camp, is across baseball. Players don't like their new uniforms. And uh, this has been coming for a while. Um, It's a Nike issue. And Nike took over the rights or bought the rights in 2019, I believe it was. But didn't tinker much, right? Sort of stuck with what had worked. And then we sort of saw them start to put their own spin on the home run derby jerseys or the all-star game jerseys. You're like, those are a little weird. But it's just the all-star game, so who gives a shit? And you just kind of move on with your day. Until you roll into spring training, and you're like, oh, you're you're doing that. You're, you're doing that thing. And players are not happy. Fans aren't happy. Fans are often unhappy, so it is what it is. But the players seem pretty pissed. And if you haven't seen them, look, it's an easy Google 2024 spring training MLB jersey or, or whatever you want to search. You'll, you won't have any trouble finding it if you want to see for yourself. But everything's sort of been pushed down the jersey and then shrunk a little bit. And I guess the best way to describe it would be like where you're typically used to seeing the name on the back of the jersey is now where you see the MLB logo. And that used to be pushed up high, right, towards the collar. It was very up high on the on the back of the jersey, almost right at the top. Then you had the big nameplate and then the big numbers underneath. Now the, the, the logo has been pushed down almost into that nameplate area. The nameplate itself has been pushed down a little and shrunk noticeably. And then obviously the numbers have had to be pushed down and also shrunk so that they're not like up your ass, basically. And so players, there's I haven't seen anybody comment saying that they like them. But there does seem to be a bit of a split between these are terrible. Get them out of here. And uh, yeah, I don't really care for, you know, like kind of a shrug of the shoulders versus hate them. There is no, I like them. And it, it, we've seen players say, I contacted net Nike directly. Some of these guys have sponsors, whether it be a shoe deal or a, you know, any kind of apparel deal. A lot of these guys haven't, they're calling their Nike reps directly saying these stink, get them out of here. And they're not going to, this is going to be the Jersey this year, right? Your, your, your contracts are signed. Um, and the jerseys have been printed. This is what they're going to wear. Uh, other players just saying, you know, they fit terribly. The, yeah, I don't like the look of them. The other thing that's uh, interesting, 
Um, especially for people like us who have a, uh, what is the term that Marge Simpson uses? Uh, a full-seated husband, she says she has. Uh, we have a full-seated first baseman. And what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of these pants, you know, in, in the NHL, guys have their own custom sticks made. Uh, in MLB, those pants that they all wear are often custom tailored uh, to, to fit you properly. These are not. The new uh, Nike MLB pants are just, yeah, well, you're an XL or you're a 2XL. And it kind of goes all over the place. You see guys who are, you know, some of them like a, a baggier pants. Some of them like a little tighter and they have like the, the, the high socks, which is a look I've always kind of liked, especially for like a speedster, right? Like a center fielder or something like that. I think that's a cool look. Uh, you see it less and less, but I always kind of liked that. Um, and and other guys like the bigger one. You, we all know here, Blue Jays fans, we remember Robbie Ray at the tightest pants you've ever seen showing off that ass meat every time he took the mound. Uh, so... MLB, uh, Nike's not doing that for you. And all of it, it, it just feels like it's been cheapened a little, um, or it's a little less. I don't, it feels like Nike walking into a 130-year-old sport or whatever the hell it is and going, we know better, we're going to do it this way. Well, everyone was pretty happy with how it was. And so players, yeah, apparently not, uh, not loving the new Nike uniforms. But like I said, they're not going anywhere. The this is done. Um, they've all been printed for the year. Could they, in theory, go back later? I, I guess. I doubt they will. Um, this is one of those things that you just count on people getting used to, and and most people probably will, um, especially as a fan, right? You sit, and by mid-May, you're not even likely really going to notice anymore, but the guy who's putting on pants that don't fit the way he wants actually in the lineup that day, yeah, you might notice. Um, where do we want to go next? Let's talk about the Penguins, because to me, they're in a fascinating spot, and they announced on Thursday, just before I sat down to record this, that Jake Gensel is out for the foreseeable future. At least four weeks, he's not going to be back until early March, and that might set off some alarm bells in your head that there's something else going on in early March. What is, ah, the trade deadline. And Jake Gensel was a guy that the debate had been fascinating around. And I do. I think the Penguins are at a fascinating spot here in terms of what they should do with Jake Gensel and now what they can or cannot do with Jake Gensel. Very talented winger, but he's pushing up against 30 years old. And the Penguins, it sure looks like they're not going to make the playoffs. And if you've been here for a while... You remember me saying at the beginning of the season, I, I asked Rob and, and uh, you know, let's take a week and next week, let's come out with some things that might be a little crazy, but that you think are theoretically possible. And my big one was, I think the Penguins could win their division. And that, that, that does not appear to, uh, <laughs> does not appear to be overly likely at this point as they sit well outside the playoffs and Jake Gensel has just gone down to injury. If you recall, Rob's big hot take was, well, I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to be in the mix for a cup. And you're like, yeah, I, it, it didn't strike me as a particularly hot take as a lot of people had picked them to favor. So, so screw that. Uh, although three weeks into the season, if he had said it then, you might have thought it was a little crazier if you remember the start they got off to. But the Penguins sit here now with Sidney Crosby having a fantastic season, a turn-back-the-clock season, a borderline in the mix, kind of top five, maybe for an MVP season. And the rest of the Penguins, just nothing terrible. I thought 
my the biggest thing that was working against my crazy over the top Penguins might win the division take was that the goaltending wasn't going to be good enough. And Tristan Jari's been fine. He has not been the issue. You look back in hindsight and you go, yeah, man, you probably should not have resigned Malkin and, and Latang and, and just tore this thing down. But that was the old management group and ownership and Crosby kind of leaned on Burke and Hextall and said, we want those guys back. Go get it done. So they went and got it done and brought them back. And yeah, no, hasn't been good. And so you you're stuck if you're the Penguins. And this has been the interesting part about it now for a while since it's become clear that not only are they not going to win the division like I, I thought maybe they could. They're not likely to make the playoffs at this point. That's after going out and getting Eric Carlson. And I, I thought the trade they made for Carlson was fine. You did give up another first round pick in it. But otherwise, you just traded away a bunch of pieces. But you did tie yourself up on the cap, right? A lot of money you brought in for a lot of term. So the trade was fine. What you got back wasn't. Um, and again, Carlson's been fine. A little out of sorts. It is ridiculous that that power play with all those weapons can't get going. But they're just not a very good team. And so I really am interested to see what Kyle Dubas's plan was before this Gensel injury. If you're not going to make it this year, traditional hockey or sports in general wisdom would suggest Trade your UFAs, get some pieces in return, especially if you're a team like the Penguins, who for years have been in go-for-it mode. For 15, 18 years have been in go-for-it mode. Trading picks constantly. Trading prospects constantly. And it was the right thing to do because they had a really good, really talented core and they were always a threat. So it made sense to trade all those things. But in, you know, at some point it catches up with you. You don't have anything coming. You don't have good young prospects in your lineup or getting ready to be in your lineup. You're an aging team coming to the end of what has been a very productive window. So in theory, you would step back and go, all right, this isn't our year. I'm going to trade Jake Gensel. I'm going to hope to get a first round pick. Um, maybe another prospect depends what the market's like. There are some teams out there that will be looking for a, a, a player like Gensel. That guy'd look pretty good in Edmonton alongside one of their two big centers. He'd look pretty good in a lot of places. So you hope to create a bidding war, send him out, bring back some pieces, and and at least have something in the cupboard as you're moving forward. It won't be things that are going to help you right away, but at some point this is all about to go off a cliff if it hasn't already, and this would be one way to start restocking the cupboard without saying... We're tearing it all down next year. But that's the problem. You are, I guess, still in go-for-it mode. Crosby is clearly still capable of playing at his at this level that, that he's at this year. Killing it. But Malkin isn't. And Latang isn't. And the Riley Smith thing, I liked that deal. I thought, you know, when Vegas, after the Cup last year, decided, you know, they're a little ruthless. And if they were going to keep Barbashev... They were going to have to trade something, and they punted Riley Smith. I thought that was a reasonable grab by Kyle Dubas and the Penguins. He'll fit beside one of their two centers and, you know, contribute in their top six. Eh, you know, not really. And so if you are still going to, in theory, 
no matter how misguided it feels, and it feels tremendously misguided, if you are staying in go for it uh, mode again next year, then you probably don't trade Jake Gensel. You probably sign 30-year-old Jake Gensel to a contract to stick around and help try and get you into the playoffs next year. Now, Matt, you're probably asking, why would the Penguins think they're going to be better next year when they don't have any young you know, pieces coming, anything new looking at them? It's just Latang and Carlson and Malkin and Crosby and Gensel and Smith and whatever, another year older. And I would say to you, good listener, good call. But ownership seems to have said, until the wheels fall off of Sidney Crosby, we're going for it. And if you're going for it, you're probably going to spend this summer looking for a Jake Gensel. Now, could you do a wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Yeah, we're going to trade you. We're going to get something for you. You're going to go have a chance to play for a contender. And while you come back this summer, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll talk about it then and we'll get a deal done. Even then, I don't think it'll be the right move. But I do think it's possible. I, I think that might be on the table. And, but that's the debate that they were having up until this afternoon was, can we trade him and do the reasonable, rational thing here? Or do we, do we, do we got to keep him? Because we've been told we're going for it again next year. And now it's possible that decision's been taken out of their hands. It says early March he'll be back, but likely just past the trade deadline. So there's two things here. First, you're not allowed to trade a guy who's injured unless he says it's okay. Once he's on IR, you're not allowed to just punt that guy out the door without the player's permission. So Jake Gensel can now kind of dictate in a way he couldn't before. If he's just a guy and Dubas decides I'm trading you, you're gone. Well, now he almost has like this kind of injury instituted no trade clause where if he wants to stay and doesn't want to go, he can go, no, no, not till I'm healthy and back in the lineup. And then I'll return to the lineup on March 9th. And that's that. But secondly, what does this do to the interest in the player? If you were the Oilers or whoever, like I said, there will be other t- He'd look pretty good in Colorado as well, especially with Landis Gog not in there. Do they have the, the salary cap space to make it fit? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of places that he would look very good. What does this injury do? You're not going to see him again before you get your hands on him. If he agrees to be traded and to come to you, you don't necessarily know what you're getting for the rest of the season, what his rehab is going to look like, what his return is going to look like. And so even if Dubas had come to the rational conclusion that I got to trade this guy, his value just plummeted. And maybe that's the answer to the question there. If all of a sudden everybody's offers for what they were going to give you just dropped, maybe you just go, oh, fuck it. I'll just keep them then. I don't, maybe it's that simple. I'm screwed anyway. Might as well keep them. Well, speaking of being screwed anyway, let's talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets for a second. Uh, not a phrase I use all that often that I would like to talk about the Blue Jackets. They finally fired their general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen. Um, and I guess he's going to be replaced for the time being by team president John Davidson. Far from convinced that's going to be any better for the rest of the season, but that's uh, that's beside the point. He had been employed for 11 years. Have you remembered one time in 11 years? We went, man, the Blue Jackets, they're, they're pretty good. This is a good GM. No, 
No, they've been bad. They've been very, very bad. The best they've finished in any of those 11 seasons was fourth in their division. We can talk about some of the other specifics here in a second. But he was the third longest tenured general manager in the National Hockey League. As I said, he'd been on the job for 11 years. That list now, if you're curious, the top three is Jim Nill down in Dallas, who took over in 2013. Kevin Cheveldayoff hired in 2011, speaking of teams that could probably stand to see a freshening up there. And uh, Doug Armstrong, 2010 in St. Louis. Can give him a pass because he's got that Stanley Cup thing going for him. And look, there's others, uh, you know, in the same neighborhood. Don Sweeney, uh, Brian McClellan. Again, he's got a cup, but whatever. Uh, those are your new top five anyway. And so I, I just, I look at that and I think, man, that's long overdue. And I see a lot of people kicking and screaming about, well, you're doing this to Kekaline in three days, three days, three weeks before the NHL trade deadline. You know, the timing isn't very good. Well, unless you're worried about what he might do at the trade deadline, if you've decided this is not our guy and we don't like what he's done, I probably wouldn't give him another trade deadline to fuck it up even further. And there's been times. I said, have the Columbus Blue Jackets been good in any time in his tenure? No. But there have been times where it seemed like they might be getting ready to turn a corner. That they might be getting ready to to do something. Or that, you know, heaven forbid, he did some things I thought were the right thing at the time. We all think back to he's got Panarin and he's got Bobrovsky on his roster. And he knows they're going to leave at the end of the year. And instead of selling... Because he's sort of on the bubble. He goes, I'm leaning into it. And he goes out and he gets Matt Duchesne. And there was two other guys. It was the other one, Duclair. It was a former senator. Uh, might not have been Duclair. But he goes in and he decides, we're going to take a run at this fucking thing. And I, at the time, because you're screwed anyway. You couldn't, as I said, <laughs> speaking of everybody being screwed. You couldn't trade Panarin and Bobrovsky while you're in the playoff hunt, this market's been starved. The fans there, I have no idea if Columbus is a good market or not. They've been through some shit. They haven't had anything to cheer for. Will it become a great market if the team ever gets any good? Maybe. We have no evidence to say that. But I certainly don't blame them for not really wanting to support this thing. Over the last, when they come in, 98, 99. They've been shit every single year drops of mediocrity here and there. Uh, it was the right thing to do. We're going to give our fans something here. We got Panarin. We got Bobrovsky. I'm going to go get a legit top six center in Matt Duchesne. We're going to see if we can make some noise here and, and get in. We're going to try and reward these guys before it all goes to hell again. I didn't really object to that. But otherwise... Now, Cap Friendly put out a tweet on Thursday that just sort of talked about how many trades did he make, how many draft picks did he make, how many signings did he make over his 11-year tenure. And I know this number is going to be a little unfair, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because it's a little jarring. He has signed one, just shy of $1.2 billion in NHL contracts. Now, look. You start to do the math right on the cap every year. You have to spend this much and you have to. And he's had 11 years or whatever the hell it is, 12 years to, to do it. So it adds up. But someone has let that guy commit $1.2 billion in money 
to a team that has done nothing. The extent of their success is the one time that they overtook the the much-favored Lightning, swept them in four, and got to the second round, only to get pummeled by the Bruins. And then in that bubble, they beat the Leafs in the qualifying round, only to get pummeled by the Lightning in the next round. That's it. That's it. They've made the playoffs a couple times, and when they did, they've lost in the first round, aside from those two incidents that I mentioned. So other other than these couple of fourth and fifth place finishes, it's six, six, eight, seven, six. Like just terrible. How do you get to keep your job to become the like second longest tenured guy in the league? What were they now? The thing is, I'm getting weirdly worked up about the Columbus Blue Jackets, especially since they just did the right thing. They finally solved the problem, and yet I'm mad at them anyway, and I don't really know why I care. It's just it blows my mind a little. And we we hear all the time about what kind of ownership does your team have? Is it a hands-off ownership that kind of lets their hockey people run the organization? Or is it a very hands-on organization or hands-on owner that forces its players to conduct weird interviews with the ownership? <laughs> this is not an example. It could have been anybody. Uh, look, by all accounts, the O'Connell family who own the Columbus Blue Jackets are hands-off people. And I think there's a time and a place for that. And I, I, I think that's the right way to handle it to an extent. But you have to know enough about your organization to go, man, we seem to lose a lot. How come we those playoffs that I keep hearing there's other teams doing a playoff thing. How come we never do that? At some point, you have to care enough about your investment. You have to care about the one point two billion dollars this guy has spent to bring you nothing. I. You know, there was a year or two ago there when they signed Johnny Gaudreau and everyone was like, well, you know, maybe they're starting to turn a corner here. And they did have some young prospects already at that point. But that went so well that they were able to draft Adam Fantilli at the end of the following season, second overall. While you're out there signing Johnny Goudreau, who by all accounts was more interested in the geography of your team than the ability of your team, that same summer they gave... Eric Goodbranson, a multi-year contract. So I don't really know what Yarmo Kekalainen has been doing. I don't really know how he managed to hang on this long. And I don't really know where they go from here and why they went with John Davidson. Other than, like I said, I get it if you want Yarmo Kekalainen's hands off the wheel by this trade deadline. Fine. Do you really want John Davidson's? Zero experience as a general manager. He's the guy who is let Kekalainen stick around this long. He's been a part of this management group that has helped you get here. I I don't know. He left at one point. Do you remember that? He worked for the Blue Jackets for quite a while. A job with the Rangers opened up. He said, I'm going to go do that. That didn't go very well either. The Rangers fired him as we came back to run year two. That's how much they value loyalty or, or whatever in the Columbus Blue Jackets organization. The guy left you and when... His new girlfriend dumped him. Instead of pointing and laughing like the rest of us would have, they were like, I'll take you back. Gross. Bad organization. I've seen a bunch of people commenting that, you know, maybe a better GM would be eager to have this job because of some of the young pieces in there. And there might be something to that. But there is a mess to clean up. By all accounts, Johnny Goudreau, this was his retirement contract. (laughs) He's just there to collect his paycheck and ride it out. 
Kent Johnston, they were worried about him and they were able to send him down to the minor league to get him out of what had become a toxic uh, situation earlier this season. David Juracek, by all accounts, the guy who's supposed to be the next big kingpin on their blue line, he's been pissed. He hadn't demanded a trade, but he did come out and say pretty honestly, yeah, I'm an NHL player. I don't know what I'm doing down here and I don't respect this decision. So maybe that's another reason you do it now. You don't wait till the end of the season. If you're worried about it getting that sour and you're worried that this guy might be getting to a point where he asks to leave, yeah, maybe you just go ahead and you do it now. But they have some pieces. Chinnikov's going to be good. Juracek's going to be good. Fentilli's going to be good. Kent Johnston, Cole Sillinger. They've got some guys. So maybe it is an attractive job for another GM. The idea of having to tear it down and start from scratch and collect all these picks, that's not really in play here. But you do have some shit contracts that you will have to find a way to unload. And like nobody, I can't imagine now without a sudden, you know, probably season long return to form of 100 point Johnny Gaudreau. I can't imagine anybody else has taken that contract off your books. And if he does return to that, maybe you're not that interested in trading him anyway. But it doesn't feel like that's imminent. You got some good young pieces. We'll see. Maybe they just they just didn't want to let this guy go any further with it. And to me, that's fair. I would have done it a long time ago. What's the old expression? The best time to act was yesterday. The second best time is now. Fine. It was just a little surprising that it happened before the end of the season. And I mean, all of that is, is doesn't even mention the Mike Babcock stuff from last summer, which for a lot of people was the last straw. A lot of people watched that happen and have to have him leave before he ever coached a game for the team and went, well, maybe he's not getting fired now on the eve of the season because it's just too late, but he won't survive the year. And I mean, if you were living under a rock and you don't remember it last summer, they go out and they hire Mike Babcock and Mike Babcock has not been seen in the NHL since all the Mitch Marner stuff in Toronto uh, broke, he was fired, and then all that, that you know, the, the shitty list-making thing he had him do. You start to hear about some of the things he put Johan Franz in through, and other guys like that. Uh, more and more stories come out about Mike Babcock. So he disappears, he's back to Saskatchewan, he coaches university for a bit, and you could tell it was coming, he was going to try and get back into the league because there's a piece here and there around Sportsnet and, and what that... You know, the the rehab tour, the image rehab before he's going to be brought back into the spotlight. And they that stuff started to trickle out. And then in the spring, I don't remember, is it April or May last year, we hear that Columbus is going to hire him on July 1st. Well, why wait till July 1st? Well, because he's under contract to the Leafs until July 1st and they don't want to pay to buy him out. Now, at that point, what we're talking about in terms of paying to buy him out is nothing. There's nothing left on the deal. But at the same time, who really cares, I guess. But everybody knew he was coming back in. And so sure enough, early July, they bring him back in. And then over the summer, he's looking at guys' phones. And it just becomes this whole thing. And by the time camp arrives, uh, they've had to tell him to go away. And he did not go away for free. He had a contract. So there was a negotiation that had to happen there. A a buyout, right? A, a recognition that, all right, this isn't going to work. And they have to pay him out. And so obviously ownership is not going to be happy with that. They did put out a statement indicating they were unhappy. That was John Davidson and also Yarmo Kekalainen who oversaw that. So just 
on top of everything that I've mentioned here, that's that's the coach. That's where you decide you need to go to turn this thing around. A guy who has been disgraced, removed from the league, no one else has wanted a piece of, you're going to bring him back into your organization as you're trying to turn things around, and it immediately blows up in your face. So, Yarmo didn't have a leg to stand on. It was time to go, and uh, we'll see. Same thing we talked about with Dorian, same thing we talked about with some other guys. Does he get another crack at the big chair? I don't know. I don't know. I think I've presented a pretty pretty accurate picture of what his tenure looked like as a general manager in the NHL. Maybe someone else gives him a chance, but he doesn't have a great-looking resume at this point. I think he returns to being maybe an AGM. All, none of these guys disappear. All their buddies still hire them somewhere. Will he be a scout? Will he be an assistant GM? Will he be an advisor? He'll pop up somewhere. But does he get another crack at the big chair? Not so sure. Uh, Leafs and Sens both play tonight. We'll start with the Sens. I don't have a lot to say about the Sens. I flipped back and forth between the two games all night. It was never close. Uh, clunker there for Ottawa. And I look, I'm not going to pile on. They've They've, they've genuinely looked better the last couple of weeks. Uh, had some wins under their belt. Then you knock off a big rival uh, in Toronto. You get the big boost of Ridley Gregg doing his thing and then watching Morgan Riley go through. Look, this Sens fan uh, has had, um, you know, had some fun with that, and, and fair enough. And then you roll into Tuesday. Uh, you face Columbus, 6-3 win, I believe it was. So things are rolling, right? Everything's looking pretty good. You look, you're still down and out of it and whatever else. But you're stringing wins together. It looks like things are turning around. I don't know. Anaheim rolls in on a Thursday night. Beats them 5-1. It's not close. I'm hesitant at this point to read too much into it. Sometimes you just have a clunker, right? Like I said, they'd, they'd put a couple of wins together lately. Uh, and have looked better in uh, in calendar year 2024. So if this carries on... Um, yeah, it, we'll, we'll talk about it, but sometimes this just happens. It's a random Thursday night. It's hard to get up for Anaheim. Nobody cares. And, uh, and you drop an embarrassing one. And my, my sends Twitter timeline was as quiet as I've seen it in a long time. If the sends are getting pounded, typically sends fans are out there pissed or doing some self-loathing or tweeting to fire DJ or fire Dorian or, you know, just busting on the team. I guess this wasn't a big enough ass-kicking when the Sens are in it or or winning. Obviously, everybody's interacting and having a good time with that. I don't remember a game where the Twitter timeline was as quiet as it was tonight. And maybe it was just because from minute one, like the first period right on through, the Sens weren't close. And so maybe there just wasn't all that much to say. But it was odd, I guess is the word, how little discourse I saw anyway on uh, on the Twitter timeline about that sends game it just felt from minute one like it wasn't their night and and so we'll see they'll uh, they'll roll into the weekend and um, you know if they get up and going again then then great it's just a clunker it's a one-off they happen uh, or we'll see if they kind of have fallen back into some habits here and I'm just not gonna say a whole lot about one random Thursday night against Anaheim look which is a team they should beat if they if the Sens are better than their record, which is what a lot of the pundits and uh, you know the organization has been saying that we're not this bad, then yeah, you got to beat Anaheim, especially at home. But sometimes shit happens. So 
Does it carry on? That's what we'll keep an eye on. The Leafs game, and the Leafs tried really hard. The Leafs tried really, really hard to lose this game, and they just couldn't do it. Uh, it came out in the first period flat. I think the scoring chances were like 14-3 or 14-4, I believe is what I saw at the end of the first period. And it felt that way. Um, Philly was carrying the play. And look, I, I look at that roster up and down. Look, they defend hard, uh, the Flyers. I haven't watched a whole lot of Flyers games here. I keep looking at the standings, and they they just keep hanging around. Uh, I expect them to fall off, but it, it just hasn't happened. And I, I'm watching the game tonight, and they do. They defend really hard. Um, they made it difficult to create a whole lot. And uh, the Leafs didn't seem all that interested in creating a whole lot. And I said to a couple different people at the end of the first period and kind of midway through the second, I've seen this movie a hundred times. Sort of a nondescript. The Flyers, look, I, it's not meant to bust on them, right? The Flyers are a legit organization, but they're sort of nondescript right now. You look at them and you go, I, I don't know. It's a Tortorella team. Their goalie's gone under dubious circumstances. They don't really have like the the stars that you're used to seeing there. I, I've always sort of looked at at Philly as sort of an honorary original six, like if it was an original seven kind of thing, like everything about them. So whatever. The point is, the organization is legit. When I say this is a nondescript team, I mean, the Leafs have no real heat with these guys. There's no rivalry here. Um, and there's just not a lot when you look at what Philly is to get you overly excited on a Thursday night. And that's sort of what I said to some people at the end of the first or, uh, you know, early in the second. Like, this is a movie we've all seen where the Leafs play a great game on the Tuesday. No Tavares, no Marner. Riley's out. They're going to get buried here. Half the team's sick. And the Blues, speaking of half the team being sick, reportedly spent an extra day or two in Montreal before coming to Toronto. So they may not have been at 100% themselves, and they didn't look like it. Toronto was full value. Toronto played a good game against St. Louis, but they only allowed like 15 shots, and it sure felt like that was as much about St. Louis as it was about Toronto. Uh, They just did not have it, and whether it was just a bad night or whether it was remnants of a pleasant evening or two in Montreal, I don't know, but the Leafs took advantage. Bobby McMahon gets himself a hat trick, and they look really good. And then you roll into Thursday, and it, it it just, like I said, this is a very familiar refrain if you're a Leafs fan that goes, so you're not going to build on this at all, eh? All that credit, all that stuff you built up two nights ago, you're just going to shit the bed here. And that's what it looked like for a lot of the early parts of that game. Nobody was going. Philly was shutting them down, had a one nothing lead. The crowd's not into it. And it's just a movie I've seen enough times. And then Matthews gets going in the second period. Seven minutes and 49 seconds, I believe it was. He scores himself a natural hat trick. It's 3-1 Leafs. You're like, okay, here you go. Here's what your team is capable of if you have the greatest goal scorer on the planet on your roster. You're never quite dead. And it goes from being down one nothing. they're lifeless, the building's lifeless, to up 3-1, everybody's feeling it, the vibes are good, everybody's feeling a lot better. And so that's the way it goes for most of, uh, you know, till I guess it's about eight minutes left in the third period. Noah Gregor takes just a stupid penalty in the offensive zone. Leafs managed to kill it off. The PK has been better lately, but not sh- not too long after that uh, penalty expires. Philly scores to make it 3-2. And then with like five minutes to go, 
Bertuzzi takes a ridiculously stupid offensive zone penalty, and you're shorthanded again. And Konechny manages to pot one there, ties the game. And you're like, oh, okay. So that Matthews thing that we did for 7 minutes and 49 seconds was really fun, but this is still just the same shit night you were always going to have. Um, you know, the, the, the effort outside of that explosion by him and by Marner. Marner was pretty good as well. And Lilia Grin had a pretty good night. Played 24 minutes. I've got to be pretty close to a career high for him. Two primary assists. Uh, you know, good for that guy. But it just, it had that feel all over it. Uh, it goes to overtime. Willie scores less than a minute in. Leafs pull it out of the fire. Like I said, they tried. They tried hard to lose that game and uh, just could not do it. And look, am I busting on them? Am I being a little hard on them? Yeah, but you can't show that you're capable of one thing on Tuesday while you're shorthanded and then just completely go to pieces on Thursday when you get most of those guys back. I don't know. Are they still firing off from both ends? Are some of them still sick? I have no idea, right? But, you know, it just it wasn't a good look. And so, look, you take the win when you can get it. You're, you thank Austin Matthews for putting up another three for you. <laughs> Uh, as long as he can keep doing that, maybe he'll be fine. As long as uh, as long as that guy does his thing. Fifth hat trick of the season for him. On pace now for seventy two. We'll see how that goes. But just just stupid numbers by that guy. Um, how good he's been and and the numbers that uh, that he's putting up. And uh, he now finds himself just seventy six goals back of Matt Sundin. And Rob and I have debated that a few times on here. When will he catch Matt's? Can he get it done by the end of next season? Look, if we assume that Matthews is going to score, does he get to 72? I have no idea. But he's sitting at 45 now. Do I think he's getting 20-ish more this year? Yeah. Yeah, I think at this point, as long as he stays healthy, he's probably getting to it, you know, into the neighborhood of 65. And what's that leave him having to get next year, right? Got to have a 55-56 goal season to get to Sundin. That seems pretty doable as well. So... The longer he keeps doing this, the more it feels like, you know, that that record's going to fall next year, which even just like three weeks ago, I don't remember, it w- was it more than that that Rob and I talked about it? It seemed like, ah, I don't know, that's going to be tough for him to get it done by the end of next year. <laughs> maybe it won't be. Maybe he cruises. Maybe he's got it by the All-Star game next year, something stupid like that. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I guess that's where we'll wrap this one up. Look, uh, I am headed out to, and I'm not sure yet. Uh, didn't have a beer on this uh, on this podcast, but I am headed out either on uh, sometime on Saturday to either Spark Beer or to Beyond the Pale Brewing Company. And uh, if you've been to either one lately, or uh, you got any recommendations, a suggestion or two of something I should try while I'm there, or something I should pick up to do on the podcast, uh, I think it's going to be Saturday. It might be Sunday, but uh, heading over to one of those two places. It's it's not my choice. I'm meeting somebody from out of town. And uh, those are the two that they've got in mind. I've left it up to them. So it's going to be either Spark Brewing or Beyond the Pale. Uh, I've tried a little bit of Spark before, not a whole lot. I've tried a bunch of Beyond the Pale before, but they're always turning over their selections. So there's always one or two new things there. If you've tried anything recently from one of those two places that you uh, that you think I should try or that you want to hear about on the show, hit us up at social media at Audio. Would love to hear uh, a suggestion or two. Uh, But that's about it for this week on TCA. Like I said, it was a little weak, but uh, we got to three over the course of the week. And uh, Rob will be back here on Monday. Like I said, steering the ship. No doubt we'll have other things lined up next week as well, including, we believe, Lever Sage's return 
to the TCA studio in no doubt a horribly jet-lagged state. Uh, it's his idea to roll back in here just a day or two after landing in Canada. I'm not going to fight him, but uh, I won't be surprised if I hear from him that, uh, yeah, I'm not, not really feeling up to it. But uh, we'll see. That is the plan, is for him to be in studio late uh, next week. We'll see. Uh, that's going to do it for this week of TCA. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, really appreciate it when you spend some time with us. Make sure you're following along on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and a review on that podcast app. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you Monday morning for more Talkan Audio. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.